Hey guys, welcome to the last episode of season one for the Odd Coyote. Um, super excited about this episode. Um, we have Kate Walker joining us, Casey Hooper, and a piece by Jessa Murray. Uh, more on that later. But uh, thank you guys for listening to this first season. If you've missed any other episodes, please go back and listen to them. You won't want to miss any of the interviews or any of the pieces that were showcased. Um, everybody brought uh, very funny and hilarious essays, uh, short stories, poetry, uh, good stuff, and good conversations as well. Lots of good discourse about comedy. Um, how's things going with you guys? Having any interactions with the, the general public that are interesting, keeps you keeps you guessing and thinking about the people we are constantly surrounded by. Uh, this, not this week, but earlier this month, I, uh, I've i been going to a library once a week or every other week to meet with my friend Matt as we were writing a uh, play, a comedy play. And we meet at the library and sit back in a little conference room and, and write on the script. However, um, it's one of those conferences rooms at the library. You, you can't reserve them, so it's kind of first come, first serve. There's a limited amount. And I thought I'd share the story with you guys. Um, I'll tell you about basically what happened was um, all the conference rooms were filled up. There was one kind of smaller computer lab type uh, place that did have a door. And so I got there before Matt. I, I got my laptop out. I, I went into this little room that wasn't an official conference room, but it had a door on it and some computers. I set up my laptop um, all ready to, to go. Matt wasn't there yet. And while I was waiting in this kind of little closed off space, uh, I don't. Uh, there's no other way to say it except for uh, two people who... Um, were from from different backgrounds and English was not their first uh, language and then a, a tutor so she was obviously a, a language tutor who was, who was tutoring these people in in English um, which is great fantastic um, they were also searching for a space and I guess that they assumed that I was going to be the only person in this little enclave with with them they were not deterred by the fact that I would be there um, and they, they came into the room and, and kind of, uh, overtook, overtook the space, um, which was, was fine. It was just, a, it was a little socially awkward. They, uh, there was no boundary for, for personal space or physical space there. And, uh, they just, they set up shop and they, they did acknowledge my presence there and said, hi, but we're, uh, we're not, uh, deterred by the fact that I was sitting within, you know, 10 12 inches of them while they started their lesson. And so I was met with a choice. I could either hold out and stay there and uh, Matt would show up and then we, we would both, we would have two groups trying to talk with each other in very close proximity. One of us would have to move um, or I could just pack up my things, get my things and, and go to, to somewhere else. So all that to say, I was met with a choice to either say something uh, possibly be rude or um, get my stuff and leave. So that's what I did. I was muscled out by an English language tutor at the public library. That's what happened. She was a slight lady, uh, probably mid forties, but you know what? That's okay. Uh, I feel like some maybe social things of the, Oh, there's somebody already here. Uh, you know, being in that very close proximity physical space was maybe ignored, but, uh, but you know, that's okay. Fair enough. And, and, you know, I have to make the concession that she is 
doing a more noble task than I was or that Matt and I would partake in, uh, just writing stupid jokes more or less in a play. Um, so we sacrificed our space um, for these people to learn a second language and better their lives. And that's okay. I will, t- you know what? I will take, I will take a knee and take being uh, kind of politely, um, you know, in a subtext kind of way bullied by an English language tutor. They can have that space and we, we move on. That's all I got for you folks. It's just, that's my most recent interaction that, that has stuck out with other people. I've been holding myself away <laughs> otherwise. Oh, all right. Well, on to the rest of the show. We have a hilarious poem, short poem by Casey Hooper um, about taking early classes. You college kids can relate to that, right? Um, and then we have a funny uh, flash fiction kind of short story, uh, wi- uh, witty piece by Kate Walker. I'd call it witty. I like saying that word, witty. Um, and then I will be reading a piece by Jessa Murray. Jessa Murray couldn't make it in to record herself, so I will be reading her piece. It's a short story uh, based in Chili's. So I'm sure you're already locked in and interested and and snagged by that. Uh, what story? The stories that come from your local Chili's, only the funniest and the best. I'll tell you that much. And then after that, um, there is a short interview between myself with uh, Kate Walker and Casey Hooper, who were able to come down and record. Um, also at the public library at a different time, we had to lie about recording. So if, if the public library is listening, you have been had. We did, in fact, record a podcast on your your premises uh, without filling out proper forms or paperwork. And it, it's too late now. I can only say sorry and uh, you know apologize to the institution uh, anybody that might be influenced by my wrong actions and, uh, my own, my God. So that's, that's the best I can do. Uh, but stay tuned for that conversation. It's great conversation. And again, thank you so much for listening to this first season of the odd coyote. If you've missed any other episodes or writers, please go back and check those out. Very funny people presenting uh, very funny work. Um, thank you again and enjoy the episode. I open my eyes. The harsh sun scratches my cornea. I take a quick shower. The water is either too hot or too cold. No one should be up at this unearthly hour. I grab a coffee. It's dark and bitter, like my soul. I arrive at my destination. It's like walking through the gates of hell. The room is cold. I should have brought a sweater. I guess it's to keep us awake through the torture. Soon enough, I'm losing my white-knuckle grip on this tether that we call reality. The rope is being pulled apart strand by strand. I can feel my eyes closing on their own, and yet the professor prattles on, something I couldn't care less about. Will this be on the test? Again and again, he jars me awake. I just want to sleep. Why did they think this was a good idea? I'll take an 8 a.m. class, I said. I've done this for years, I said. That was Satan talking. John Applegate was a simple man, aged 44. He regularly wears polyester golf polo shirts, regardless of the fact that he does not golf. He eats lukewarm TV dinners on his dark brown leather recliner on the nights he gets home early from work. He wears loafers without socks and would do anything to get a laugh out of Jenny from Sales. Jenny from Sales thinks Don Applegate, a simple man, aged 44, is boring. Jenny from Sales works a second job at a 24-hour coffee house. 
A beloved part-time employee and a single mother of three, Jenny from Sales often finds herself eating cold spaghetti leftovers in the front seat of her 2002 Honda Odyssey. And when her transmission fails for the second time in six months, she'll recruit mechanic assistance from Lindsay, an aspiring column writer who drinks an absurd amount of Red Bull. Aspiring column writer Lindsay wears glasses, even though her eyes are fine because she thinks they make her look smarter. Aspiring column writer Lindsay has a pet schnauzer named Brett and hopes love will manifest in the form of Matt, a businessman who spells his name with one T. Aspiring column writer Lindsay once interviewed Matt with one T for an article and she swears they have chemistry. Matt with one T does not remember Lindsay's name. Matt with one T tells Aspiring column writer Lindsay about his humanitarian acts in Haiti. He does not tell her that he is worried he won't inherit the family trust. As Matt with one T's siblings are increasingly favored by their ill father, he begins seriously considering murder as a viable option because he knows he deserves his father's estate more than those freeloading cretins. Matt with one T wears expensive suits to hide the fact that he is very insecure in his business skills, and he often asks accounting advice from Don Applegate, a simple man, age 44. I told seven different chilies that it was my birthday seven nights in a row. The emotional toll that lying to seven different chilies chains takes on a person was wildly underestimated on my part, though it was nothing compared to the physical toll that parting like it's my birthday for a week straight has had on my body. Even now that I am no longer intoxicated, I still couldn't pass a sobriety test. It's like this week has made me permanently incoherent. Also, I'm severely dehydrated. Keeping my eyes open any longer than a second could result in the essential taxidermy of them for the dark web. My tongue looks like an actual raisin. It looks like you could chop it up and throw it in trail mix. Now, some people may be wondering why. Why did you party so hard at specifically Chili's restaurants for seven consecutive nights? Well, I'd say it was an impulse decision, like ordering fries instead of a salad at the last minute or buying a movie that's not on rental yet because you can't just can't wait, or jumping into water with your clothes on, or spending seven consecutive nights at seven different Chili's restaurants. But I'd be kidding myself if I said it didn't wasn't a decision influenced at least a little bit by my dog running away. Some people grieve by eating, exercising, or drinking. My grief was so fiercely intense, I did all three. I have eaten over 50,000 calories and cheese fries, danced to the point of foot drop, and have had my blood thinned by gallons of Chili's margaritas. My blood now has the viscosity of a Capri Sun. Your next question might be, why Chili's? Why not any other mediocre chain restaurant? I've never actually been to Chili's before this week. I'd always seen it. It's always there. I've just never been. I figured that, that something that ever-present in my life should no longer be taken advantage of. I didn't even have to travel far to visit all seven of them. They were all so near and comforting, waiting for me to unload my troubles. Lined up in an infinite row with open arms, a menu that vaguely resonates with their name, much like how I named my golden retriever Lucky. Nothing lucky about the thing you love most in the world, willingly running away from you into the farthest zip code. But who needs luck when you have seven different Chili's restaurants ignoring their policy to not overserve alcoholic beverages? The floors were so clean there, but yet muddled enough to where I didn't have to see my reflection in them. My table was always firm to the ground, foreign to the use of sugar packets to balance out any uneven legs. The chair cradled my hindquarters, much how I'd expect being a swaddled infant would feel like. The crisp fries were hidden gems that I dug through various cheeses and cheese-complementing toppings to consume. 
My first night there was easily the worst because I had not yet learned how to block out other people in the restaurant. When I was waiting on my first round of appetizers, I overheard two young girls in their conversation. They were discussing a science experiment in which they introduced a variable, emojis, to their test subject, their mother, and their recorded observations of her reaction. From what I could tell, the experiment had gone successfully and met their hypothesis that their mother would indeed have so much fun with emojis because their mother's reaction met their expectations. They were hoping to exceed them by introducing the test subject to a new variable, bitmoji. Then I blacked out. The rest of the week went similarly, but with the blissful absence of surrounding chatter. The only time I spoke to someone was when my server woke me up so I could pay my bill. However, one server, I believe it was Chili's number four, offered me a small New Testament Bible and some baby wipes along with my check. I left the Bible and took the baby wipes because I was out of dish soap. After this week, you'll be glad to know that I will be checking myself into rehab. More specifically, I found my dog yesterday, so I can now enter a state of rehabilitation from all Chili's restaurants. All that can be said now is, God bless America, the creator of freedom, and more importantly, God bless Larry Levine, the creator of Chili's. So, um, so with so Casey, with your piece, um, pretty obvious that that's like based off of just like your thoughts when taking classes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, it started out as something serious, and then I told I told you where I or when I was record like writing the stuff down was during a class and you mm-hmm. were like you should just call it 8 a.m class blah, blah, blah. and then i was like yes this is my laugh actually right there too <laughs> <laughs> that's cool um dude i i know like normally you, you don't always write like comedy stuff but do you find that like any humorous ideas come just from all from real life or um uh, I mean, I have lots of ideas for different genres and things. I don't always put them to paper, but real life, definitely. A lot of funny things happen in my life. <laughs> so <laughs> I probably should be using them for inspiration. Yeah. This is my first foray into comedy. Okay. So. Cool. Cool. And Kate, yours is like, yours reads like, and I remember you doing that piece like a long time ago. It's like a flash fiction piece, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and you loop background. So these are, I feel like, probably fictional people, mm-hmm. right? So how, i I just curious, because when you wrote it, it was like before you were even in college. Yeah. This is a very, like, adult scenario, <laughs> like people with trust and mar- yeah. people in marketing departments and stuff. And I'm like, I've worked with those people. So yeah, well, the thing is, it's like we've all met these people. We yeah. all know Jenny from Sarah's like, Donna, yeah. okay, like our dads wear polo shirts. Like, they don't golf. Like, <laughs> sure. I, I guess, like, I... In my ignorance, I'm thinking like, well, but do like high schoolers know people like that? And I guess they they do, right? This is like your parents and friends with parents. Is I mean, I, I just I guess I'm getting out like, where did that idea come from? If if you don't have your own personal like experience with people yeah. like that, yeah, they're, I mean, they're all definitely fictional, but most aspects of all of the characters, if I mean, I guess you can call them that, they're all. Um, like drawn from people that I know. Like my mom told me in college that she wore glasses. So she has 20-20 vision, but she wore glasses because she thought her professors would respect her more. <laughs> so I mean, like, awesome. yeah, and I thought that was hilarious. Like, yeah. I, mean, like, I just like, I take little bits and pieces yeah. of things from people that you meet. And um, 
it was before it was funny because I wrote this piece before I started working at the job that I'm working at right now and it's so very much like a you meet people from sales and marketing mm-hmm. people who drink coffee even though they don't enjoy coffee kind of thing yeah, <laughs> totally, and totally. Um, but it was really funny because I wrote that before I met or had experience with any of those people but um, I mean you were asking Casey like do you think comedy is drawn from the like your experiences mm-hmm. and I absolutely do. yeah I think so because I mean everything that you find funny is usually like you experienced something, found it funny in the past, and now you're kind of like you've been pavloved into thinking like, ah, oh, this is an experience that I find humorous as a yeah. human. Like, <laughs> that's true. And, um, that's true. And so, I mean, yeah, I think everything. I mean, if not, you experience something and then you draw that and you turn it into something else. But even unless it's just like absolute absurdism, I mean, most things that I think most other people find funny are because they're relatable in some way or another. No, and that relatability comes from the fact that it's usually rooted in something that's real life or yeah. plausible. Even if you hadn't, as an audience member, didn't experience it, um, you could see it happening. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's interesting. I feel like for a lot of writers, you hear the, the old adage of, you know, write what you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering if you guys feel like that's maybe more important for comedy. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, with, like, fantasy, it's like you're, you're writing not what even exists, um, maybe aspects of it are rooted in real things like relationships and conflict and things like that. But um, I don't know. I'm just wondering if that matters more for comedy than say a different genre. What do you, I like, she said, um, I definitely think that comedy has to be relatable to be successful. Mm. Maybe not has to like absurdism can work, but it's, it's it, most comedy it is better when it's relatable. So if you're drawing from, real life then I mean don't listen to me I've never done comedy before but <laughs> you're convincing us that yeah, you know, I'm like yeah that checks out over yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> like adding it to a lesson plan. no I, I think what you're getting at though is that that is what people like laughing is the you know, we're like really making comedy a science here which maybe <laughs> takes the fun out of it but like um, laughing is the emotional or physical reaction to your brain maybe seeing something that is also familiar and maybe you didn't think that somebody else had also gone through that or felt that way. And that's, what's funny about it. Like, Oh my gosh, this thing that I thought was so individualistic or so specific to my scenario, um, seeing it, just seeing it in somebody else or somebody else's story is maybe what makes it funny, Mm -hmm. especially the more outlandish. I Mm -hmm. think, um, that's interesting. Um, what, what do you guys think as far as, where you're getting at is like, well, all comedy can be rooted in relatability. So you just have to be a really good observer. And as long as you're doing that, you can turn these things into comedy. So, but then you also say that like, well, we don't write that much comedy. So like, why do you think that is? Like, is it because it's harder or it's easier, but people just don't think about writing comedy? Comedy is very hard for me. I am a depressed person. So I write depressing, serious stuff, and comedy is just not what I'm used to. Mm. So, I think that there's there's comedy in those like scenarios, though. Yeah, or... I'm sure I could like like I took a serious piece and like turned it around and made it something funny. Yeah. So you can do that, I'm yeah. sure. But I've talked with other people um, a similar thing, talking about. Um, uh, satire and things like that and talking about these things that 
originally are very depressing or it's awareness of something going on culturally or politically that's super heavy. But in comedy, you kind of, you make the choice of coping with those heavy, serious things by making people laugh or making it funny. So I think there's something to that as far as, you know, real life struggles and making a choice to turn it into comedy. Um, I don't know. Okay. What, what do you, what do you think as far as it's easier, harder to write? What's, um, I think it's very much mindset. I used to think that cause we had an assignment in your class actually, where you had, you wanted us to write about an experience that we had had in real life. that was funny. And I sat there and I was like, wow, nothing has ever happened to funny <laughs> in my entire life ever. <laughs> but it's mean, a like, terrible <laughs> assignment idea. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So that perspective, and I'm like, whenever you write, um, whenever I was a kid, I almost only wrote um, fiction, like short mm-hmm. novel pieces kind of thing. And then I got into high school, and I took uh, your wife's class, <laughs> and, um, yes. and, we, and she kind of pushed us to write poetry a little bit. And mm-hmm. then since then, I've really only written poetry. I kind of pulled away from writing fiction. And since it was never, like, pushed on me to write comedy, it was like, oh, my God, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I mean, when a lot of things happen. I mean, this piece that I just read wasn't necessarily like a comedy poem right but I mean I think it's kind of funny because we've all met these people and you're like oh my god that's Jerry from the marketing totally totally. (laughs) Um, yeah yeah um, so I mean I think it's definitely available to anybody who writes it's just whether or not you think that you are a comedy writer because anybody can be anything it's whether or not you think that like that's your niche whatever that's super like positive (laughs) anybody can be anything As Probably long as you, like, out. work hard and eat your vegetables, like, things will work out. Um, Take your whole team. Yeah, right? I, I, that's, that's interesting. It's like um, the fuel for comedy feels like it's maybe there more than in other genres. Like, it's always available, like you guys are saying. And we just, maybe we just don't think about it. Like, we don't think about it as teachers to say, hey, try to write comedy. Or we don't think about it as writers because it's like, oh, we don't normally, you know, who starts with comedy? Yeah. You know, like, even if you... Um, are like ha- privileged enough to have the experience of having going to a, a public school or a school that has a creative writing department or something like that, and they have you write fiction. You, you're usually started with you know either short stories or poetry. Like it's rare that somebody pushes you to comedy usually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wonder if that, like you're saying, more people could be comedy writers. They just don't think about it as an option. Or like you said, that moment of Write, write the write the last funny thing that happened to you, and it's like nothing happened. You know, well, in reality, you had a bunch of funny yeah. stuff happen. We just laugh about it and then pass it by. Yes, like, we just kind of look past it. Why? I, what do you? What is with that? Why? Why do we do that? Do you think? Well, I wish I could have like a catalog of all the things that have ever happened <laughs> to me in my brain, so I could pull them out and be like, "Oh, I'm going to write about this today." But obviously, we forget things and we yeah. pass them up as. Like, just everyday things that, oh, that was funny to me, but it might not be funny to anybody else, you know? It's just, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, it just kind of gets passed passed Mm -hmm. by, maybe. I would agree with that. I mean, like, it may be funny to me, but not to anybody else. Because, I mean, you can, something can happen to me, and I can verbally tell you a story and be like, oh, my God, this is funny. I'm going to share this with somebody. But if you told me to write it down and then share it with the world with a capital W, that's a very broad and, like, yeah daunting task because yeah. you're like oh my god this has to be perfect everybody in the entire world who was like is literally right. is going to read this piece and then judge me for not being funny enough so it's, it makes it more daunting i think mm. rather than just like talking to people around you and then there's the well you had to be there factor oh yeah yeah <laughs> you know yeah 
Like sometimes things are just not funny unless you were there. Uh, yeah, and I, the the teacher in me wants to say like, well, the only difference between a successful funny story and a story that kind of fizzles out and the person ends up saying, well, you had to be there. It's because you're not communicating some detail. Um, now, whether or not that can be communicated only in written word or is it performance, you know, is it the way that somebody moved their eyes that made it extra funny or the timing of something? Because I, I think it that's what separates like serious comedy, serious comedy writers, <laughs> serious comedy writers from, um, you know, people who don't write or tell stories is that ability to capture what seemingly is you had to be there. There's no way to redo it. But in actuality, if you can re recount an event that's say serious or terrible and people do all the time, right? When we fill out like, you know, police reports or something like I say that like it's a common thing. <laughs> you know, you guys fill out the police reports. <laughs> yeah. Constantly seeing things where I live. I really do like by the Dollar General that we're at, but that's a different story. Um, but, <laughs> right, yeah, no, there's tons. That's I always make that joke that like if I'm ever short of ideas, like I literally just run up to the Dollar General we live by and stuff is constantly happening. But I, I think that like, yeah, we recount events in in such like specific detail, but we're not used to doing it with humor. But if we did it and if we got good at it, we could possibly never have that moment of, well, you had to be there. Like if you're, if you can write or perform or do a mix of both of recapturing that exact thing, Casey, you look like nah. That's no, not. no, no. <laughs> I, I just wonder what your thoughts are. I'm, I'm just kind of like riffing. No, I on think it. you totally proved me wrong. I'm just <laughs> I brought you on this podcast to demolish you. No, I, I, well, I don't know if that's right. I, I'm, I think the, like I said, the teacher and the writer in me wants that to be true. Like, like Kate said, like if you try, you can succeed. <laughs> like if you push your writing, could you? retell every single story and funniest story that you've had happen to you. Um, but maybe that's not true. Maybe there is this kind of undefinable, uncatchable magic thing that you either catch or you don't. And sometimes you do. And well, sometimes I mean, you don't. Sometimes it's possible. Sometimes comedians like stand up comedians, basically their entire like act is based on anecdotes and things right. like that and they're able to capture it and make it funny that's true so i don't I've, see I've why also heard, people can't do it yeah I, but i've heard comedians also talk about how you know they do the same joke one night and it killed mm -hmm. and then the same joke the next night and nothing and the delivery the technique everything is the same there's it's, it's the audience mm -hmm. you know there's factors in comedy that maybe you can't control yeah, that's true. Maybe I'm just bad at telling stories verbal. <laughs> <laughs> You're good at telling stories. That's why I'm like having you read the piece. It's good. Um, I'm just like pontificating about because if it's not possible to redo it, I just may give up on ever writing comedy. <laughs> I need you guys to tell me this is possible. Okay. No. Um, that's interesting. Um, any other thoughts about comedy craft or or writing? What do you guys anything else to say? Or have mm. we just exhausted the? See that horse is dead. Beat it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Beat it again. Yeah. Talk about it more until nothing is funny ever. Yeah. I just think I I want to try to do it more for sure because I'm tired of just writing depressing stuff and then rereading it and just making myself more stuck. Mm. <laughs> so well, on that, I think a lot of people 
probably 80% of writers, I would say, got into writer as some kind of coping mechanism. Like totally. you're sad about something, so you start a journal, whether that's totally. I mean, that's not necessarily poetry or like a short fiction piece, but you're writing about something that's happened to you. And usually it stems from like an event that you're like you're sad about or something yeah. that you're unhappy about. But then, I mean, it doesn't always have to stay that way. And I mean, the comedy writers don't <laughs> yeah. pull out a journal and take, I mean, your mental catalog of every funny thing that's ever happened to people don't do that in real life. But I mean, you, you catalog things that happen to you because you want a way to deal with them and you write it down. But I mean, then you, you grow from that. And so you take your personal eighth grade journal and then you turn it into poetry that doesn't necessarily have to be about you. And then it turns into comedy or it turns into anything else that you could want it to be. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, I, and I've talked with actually the, guys that I had on the very last episode, Rico and, and Koresh Q, um, we talked about that being a choice and that that is one of the good things that can happen is you take these things that would have been really depressing or sad. And, and again, it's, you're making the conscious, conscious choice. And there's something so like empowering about that. Like not just as a writer, but as like a human who's yeah. maybe struggling with depression or things like that. Um, the catalog idea, I, I'm bad at it, but I had read this Medium article, and I wish I could remember the guy's name to credit him, but he talked about keeping uh, an experience journal, which is a really funny title, and Amanda gives me a hard time about <laughs> an experience journal. <laughs> but like, if you can do it, the, the, you do find that tons of funny stuff happens to you, or story ideas, or you see people that are just unbelievable. And it, by the end of the, by the time our head hits the pillow, we forget about him um, or we discount the experience or something like that. But, uh, you know, maybe us as writers, we need to do a better job of, of actually doing the outrageous thing of cataloging those experiences, funny or not. And then we have this kind of supply to go back to. So that's the message, kids. Go out and get an experience journal. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, all right. Everybody listening to this, <laughs> go out and get an experience journal. Write down everything that happens everything to you. Everything that happens yeah, to you. Yeah, Josh so. <laughs> Well, I think that does it. Um, thank you guys for coming out and recording your, sharing your pieces and your thoughts on stuff. So thank you. Alright guys, that wraps up the final episode for season one of The Odd Coyote. Again, a thank you to Kate Walker, Casey Hooper, and Jessa Murray uh, for coming on board for this episode. Um, please keep up with the Twitter feed and uh, any of the other feeds where you listen to the show. Uh, revisit some older episodes or if you missed a couple, go back and catch them um, as this is going to round it out for season one for us. But we will be back next summer with new material. And until then, keep observing keep writing, and keep laughing. Thank you.